Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Welcome to the Rankings Podcast, where we feature top founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys and share their inspiring stories. Now, let's get started with the show. Chris Stryer here, CEO and founder of Rankings.io, where we help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings. You're listening to the Rankings Podcast, where I feature top business owners, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys. I'm excited to welcome Emmy Award winner Chris Doe to the show today. Chris is the director, CEO, and chief strategist at Blind, a brand strategy and design consultancy firm. He is also the founder of The Future, an online education platform that aims to help a billion people earn a living doing what they love. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I've been following you on Instagram. That's where mm. I've really caught a lot of your work and I just thought, man, I have to have you on the show to talk about kind of what you're doing. Okay, how can I help? Yeah, so for those of uh, who don't know who you are, wh mm -hmm. what is The Future? And okay. who do you help? All right, great question. So I help mostly creative people make a living doing what they love. And the mission is set at a billion because I think a million is a good goal, but we've already hit that, I believe. And so now we're setting our sights on one in every eight people on planet Earth. And I define creative as a little bit different than how normal people think. Most people think creative is someone who makes art or is good at drawing and things like that. But I, I think people who are creative design innovative solutions to existing wicked problems. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I've got to applaud you for the BHAG goal of, of 1 billion. I think mm -hmm. Grant Cardone, the 10X style is, it's definitely an amazing goal. And, uh, you know, even if you missed, which I, I, I at your trajectory, that's, that's not going to happen. But even <laughs> if you missed, I think it would just be a truly phenomenal impact you have on, uh, on everyone. Mm -hmm. It's important. It's important for me to have really big goals because it, forces you to look through a different lens. So if you set your goals as being small, you think small, you come up with small solutions. So every time I'm pushing my team, like how do we do this at scale? That's a really good solution, but it only serves 100 people. So that's not obviously going to work for the long-term mission. It might help us in the short term, but we have to think long-term. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that kind of plays into brand and just the whole identity and everything, maybe taking saying no to some things that could generate revenue, thinking about the long game. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, what was the moment? Because you had a very successful design agency. You had your, mm -hmm. your service-based agency, Blind, has, you want to talk about logos, some of the biggest logos you've worked with. I mean, you work with the biggest companies in the world. Mm -hmm. What was that moment that you decided, hey, I'm going to switch over to more of a content, uh, an educator, as opposed to a service-based company. Yeah. So I started my company Blind in 1995, and we worked with some of the biggest bands and brands in the world. Everybody from Sony, PlayStation, to Xbox, uh, car commercials, and cat food, and everything in between, pizza companies. 
and we 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 made videos and music videos for um, commercials and music videos. And somewhere along the way, I also started teaching. And teaching gave me a lot in terms of my creative soul, but it didn't do a lot for my pocketbook. Uh, we we know historically speaking, at least in America, teachers are not valued in terms of monetary terms as what they contribute to the world. And that was a problem for me. So I was teaching for 15 years, and I, and it was through a confluence, a couple different things happening. One was my wife challenging me to do more with my time. And she had asked me after one of our classes together, uh, she would sit in and accompany me on my trips. She would say, do you want to teach more than eight people at a time? And are you tired of repeating yourself over and over again? And those were things that I had been thinking about. I didn't have the solution. It's also at the exact same time, I think within a matter of months, that my friend Jose uh, enters in my life again and says, hey, man, uh, we were students at Art Center, but I know you have a passion for teaching. I'm in the education business. Why don't we do something together? And this was really the beginning, the kernel or the seed, if you will, as to what ultimately became the future. And I started that in 2014. In the beginning, like all things, it's a hobby. It could be called the distraction because it was pulling me away from doing very high paying client work. And to put that in scope and scale for some people who are listening, the average size commercial job that we would do ranges anywhere between 200 to $400,000, give or take. Some are much more than that, some are a little bit less than that. And so I'm walking away from high, high revenue, high profile work to go and explore and dabble in something that was making me pennies, relatively speaking. But it ignited something in me, thinking that uh, at that time, I'm 40-something, and I was thinking YouTube and content creation is for young people. What do I, what am I doing on YouTube? It's full of young kids. But what I found was an audience who showed up for the work and the ideas that we were sharing. And it, it really, uh, it, it gave me a path to creating what I would consider my form of art, and I put that in air quotes, my form of art in being able to express what I want, and I get to help people and make a little bit of money. Long story short, a couple of years later, we're over 800,000 subscribers on YouTube, over 400,000 followers on Instagram, and now it's become like this little this little movement, and it's it's growing. So you, there are so many takeaways right there, and and one of the things I was thinking about is you know when you move upstream and you take on one project because of the margins and mm -hmm. and all those opportunities, it's it's one project, and you you can get a, a review from that logo, and obviously that carries a lot of weight as opposed to impacting, it's a whole different model. Well, now, now you're, you're selling a ton of products mm -hmm. and, and it, it's a lot different. And you kind of led me to the, the audience question. I, I had those exact numbers wrote down, you know, 880,000 on YouTube, 411,000 on Instagram, 240,000 on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this. If you had to pinpoint a few components of your success on those platforms, what would they be? And let's start with YouTube. Okay, I love the way you structured this question. I'm gonna try to deliver as much value as I can. Of course, hold, hold my feet to the fire. If I don't give you what you want, just push back and I'd be more than happy okay. to explain. <laughs> I'm not trying to evade anything, I just wanna be clear, okay? So first YouTube. The big breakthrough for YouTube was when we decided to sit down and plan, prepare, uh, make slides and have an organized show structure. And I would highly recommend anybody that's trying to do this. A lot of us think that we're, we're really natural teachers and great speakers and we have this on-air chemistry and charisma. It's not true. And the first few videos that we produced, uh, Jose and I put together a loose outline. We, we leaned into our knowledge and our experience and our experience as teachers, but the, the content wasn't that watchable. Like my wife even said, you know, I love you, honey, but I can't watch your content. And that was really a, a wake-up call for me. So I spent 
I don't know, a good portion of a day sitting down writing, preparing a piece of content. And that piece of content didn't go viral, but it grew and it grew in ways that the other videos that we produced did not. So that was like the number one lesson, which was plan, prepare and put in the work. If you're expecting somebody to give you their time and attention, you have to make it worth their while. Rule number two or tip number two on this is do not try to sell. People can smell it a mile away. A lot of the other content we were creating was, they're like infomercials. We're gonna teach you one skill and then we're gonna pitch hard at the end for you to buy the rest of the product. And I felt disingenuous when I was doing that and it did not communicate and it did not come through the way I wanted because I didn't feel great about doing that. So if you give generously and you show up consistently and you put in the time and energy necessary, I think eventually if you stick it, stick it out long enough, you'll find your groove and you'll find your audience. So that's the YouTube story. I, I think that's a great takeaway. I think, you know, what you said is you're concentrating on providing value. You, you realize that it wasn't maybe the best quality. And even though you had all this extensive knowledge and then you structured it. So I, I love that. Uh, let's let's kind of jump over to Instagram. And, and I kind of want to start with the carousels. Mm -hmm. So you, you are the carousel king. You are the slideshow king on Instagram. Uh, let's just put it out there. Okay. What, why, why carousels? What is it? The algorithm, do they treat them a little bit differently? Is it a better way to educate your consumers? Take, take me there. Yeah. The carousel is a accidental discovery for me. And I, like many people, tried many different things. And I want to tell people this because I haven't told this part of the story before is that Social media for a long time confounded me. Like I'm a late person to adopt any social technology, right? And initially I wanted to get awareness around our design service company, Blind. And I hired a person who was a social media expert by her description and she would do things for us. And then it didn't really feel authentic to our brand because somebody else outside of our company, external to us, was coming in writing and producing content. Wrong typeface, wrong colors, weird messaging, and we wound up doing a lot of the work ourselves. That didn't work. So I, I threw in the towel. I'm like, this is not going to work for me. Well, the second time we went at it, I hired a firm. Now this was a group of people and I was thinking, these people must know what they're doing. And it turns out they didn't either. And I was paying them a monthly retainer and what was happening there was they were telling us to do things that I knew weren't right for us, but seemed like really lazy ways to grow an audience. So like we have to spend money to promote things and we have to boost things and do competitions and giveaways. It's like, how's that creating value for our people except for to show up free stuff? So we tried that for a while and that didn't work. And I took a break. And then I tried to do it myself and I was doing it and I was growing a little bit, but where I got the, the kind of rocket boost, the, the hockey stick kind of graph when it goes up like that was when I was interviewing Michael Janda for one of our shows and I was doing show prep. I go and look at his Instagram account and I noticed that he was doing content like everybody else, just like me. And then he started doing these carousels. And I, and I saw the growth that he had and he was going from like 5,000 followers to 30,000 followers within a matter of a few months. So I was talking to him, I said, hey, Mike, I'm really kind of impressed by this. And he goes, it's a great way to do it, you should do it. And this was happening on the show, so if anybody wants to look it up, this was happening live on air. And I said, I'm gonna do this, Michael, because you just showed me that I could teach using Instagram. And I'm gonna say this, just for the record, okay, just so that I'm historically gonna put this down, I believe that Instagram is one of the largest untapped ways and platforms of teaching because it forces you to distill a bite-sized lesson into 10 slides and give it to somebody so they can have a quick win.
We know that students don't have the time and attention span to sit through an hour and a half lecture from somebody. So if you are able to design your lecture, take the hour and a half and cut it down to 15 micro lessons and put it out there, you are potentially going to have greater impact on the lives of the people that you want to reach. Now here's the deal. I've done probably at this point hundreds, literally hundreds of keynote presentations before. And some of the keynote presentations have hundreds of pages. So initially when I was jumping in, I was like, I have content for years. I could do this forever. And I realized one of the challenges, which is translating a talking living presentation demo and slides to just a read-only visual medium was actually very difficult. You had to learn to write differently. You had to learn to pace your slides differently. But once I got over the initial learning curve, which was a couple of carousels in, I was able to grab an audience and they were using this feature. And this is a feature that Instagram heavily promotes. And it, like all new features, uh, tomorrow they're gonna come up with a new feature. If you use it, they're going to want to promote and push that to get adoption. And this is the really critical part. And I've just personally fallen in love with teaching via 10 slides. So there's there's so much there and I'm trying to think about where, where I wanna ask next. <laughs> okay. The, uh, the distilling the information to 10 slides, mm -hmm. First of all, that that's an immense challenge because on its own, just the creative component, putting too many words on the slide, are there some general recommendations in, in trying to condense that information into something that's usable or is it a case by case basis? And, you know, how do you distill that much information? Yeah, I'm going to borrow a metaphor here from a, a famous copywriting uh a writer and he, he describes writing copy like this slippery slide that you want to get on it it wants to be effortless and you want to go from the top right on through the bottom and so this is the problem that a lot of people have because I see these carousels and ask me for advice but the the biggest problem is first of all they're not drawing me in if you look at your first slide is the, the beginning of your story if I'm not interested in the beginning of your story there's no way I'm gonna get to the end so it's really important to have a really strong hook and a hook is probably a combination of a few words and an image that's very thought-provoking, a puzzle, a question, an invitation to draw the, the audience in. And then you got to get them through the slide. A lot of people front load all the information, which is something that I used to do. I would put too much information and then they would either A, get everything they wanted or it was just too much work. It felt like work, so they're not going to read anymore. So the engagement I had at the beginning wasn't very good. I learned that less is more and that you need to reduce your, your carousel down to one simple lesson, think about the one key takeaway and deliver on that. So the, the general phrase I like to use is, I wanna have a light but satisfying meal. I gotta get through slides one through nine or eight before you drop the heavy hook. So at the end, if you haven't delivered value yet, you're in deep trouble because now people are not gonna be happy with you. So if you promise an answer, give them something that they A, would pay money to learn and or B, that they would gladly share with the friend. Jimmy, you need to read this. Mary, this is excellent. I think we talked about this the other day. So if you can deliver that kind of value, then I think you're onto something. Now, I do wanna caution everybody about this one thing because it's made famous by author Austin Kleon, his book, Steal Like an Artist, and, and people have misinterpreted what that means by the author's own words and through the examples that we're seeing, is that a lot of people see the carousels, like everybody's doing it, I wanna get in, so they wind up copying the form without understanding the structure, and the structure is more important for you to understand. The other thing that they do is they tend to regurgitate content, design it, 
remove the credit away from whoever originally wrote it or, or shared that concept, and then they try to claim that this is theirs. Now, this is a very disingenuous way to work and live, and I think this goes against the principles of sharing generously. The, the integrity, the journey, no fluff. Uh, yeah, I like all that. And so let's kind of transition over to LinkedIn. LinkedIn has okay. slide decks. You know, you're up to 240,000 followers, but the audience is different. The channel is different. Yes. But having said that, a lot of the content you produce is very educational. How is LinkedIn different than, say, Instagram? Yeah, so LinkedIn for a long time has been a puzzle for me because as many people describe it, it's like an online resume site and people were trying to figure out how to use it well. And a couple of people cracked it, but a little while ago, LinkedIn also opened up a feature and it, it, they're, don't, they're not referred to as carousels, but you can upload a PDF. You can upload a PDF, which is essentially, if you, if you work in carousels, it's exactly the same, just a different file format. And what I do is I will post content on Instagram and I'll see which content performs well. I'll see which ones are more relevant for a business-minded audience and then adapt that, sometimes change it, make it longer, make it shorter, change the language a little bit, and then export a PDF, upload it to LinkedIn. And there's a special button, it's kind of hidden and it's not obvious where you, where you click on it. And if you share that, then it functions in exactly the same way as Instagram where you're able to swipe through them. And I think there's something very pleasurable and addictive to simply swiping. It's, it's just a gratifying gesture, especially if you learn to tell stories one frame at a time. And by doing that in combination with a couple of hashtags and, and writing more appropriate descriptions, I think you're going to be able to hook into an, a LinkedIn audience. And these posts also get viewed a lot because the platforms promote the new features. It's interesting that you said that about it being gratifying with the swipe because that's that's really true. I was thinking one of the reasons when we switched from Basecamp 3 over to Trello and we wanted that simplified Kanban, Kanban setup, but I, I liked the, the feeling of moving a card to completion. Mm -hmm. It was more gratifying than checking off something off the list. And I think that the slide decks have that. And I, I think um, now that you've mentioned that, I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of resonate to your Instagram uh, the futures account because I can go in there, I can consume some really high value information very quickly and I can move on to the next topic that I'm interested in as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to really find the value uh, which may take a lot more time. Um, so I, I've got a follow-up question. So actually before my follow-up, let's let's talk about the podcast. I listened to your interview with Jordan Harbinger yes. uh, today. Mm -hmm. Great, great interview, great discussion. So what are some of the lessons that you've learned running your podcast? Okay, the podcast is a whole nother animal. You're, you're getting to some really good questions here. So you'll notice that when I'm talking about these things on each platform, we have to do something a little bit different. I, I know you want to do a shotgun approach, which is just take one piece of content and just shoot it out everywhere and hope something sticks. I'm, I don't believe in that. As much as I can, I try to post things to, so that it's tailor-made for the audience because I want to give them a reason to follow me in different places. This is why I think a lot of times you'll see people who have a strong YouTube following have a horrible Twitter following and vice versa. It just doesn't translate because they're not learning to adapt to the medium. It's kind of like in the early days of radio when they made the jump from radio to television, the camera was static and people just read things to camera. It wasn't very interesting until they learned how to create for television. Then it became its own media medium. Now, 
when it came to podcasts, we started the podcast because people were trying to consume our content on the go. We have an international audience and we didn't realize not everybody has fast broadband that's relatively affordable. So they would download content and then they would listen to it on the go. They asked us to make a podcast. So in the early days, we took the audio track from our YouTube episodes and we dropped it to the podcast. But what we realized quickly is that it's a very intimate relationship that you're having on a podcast. It's like you're in somebody's head and ear hole. Generally speaking, that's all they're hearing, right? So they've isolated everything else out and they're either working, jogging, cooking or doing something, but they're listening to you and, it's, and you need to speak to them. It has to be a conversation with them, even though they can't talk back to you. So that's when I had to learn how to adopt a different style. And what's what's been interesting is if you only focus on the audio part, the conversation changes. It's very different than just converting a YouTube episode because I have to describe things and I'm trying to do a little bit of theater of the mind and I get to have more intimate and deeper conversations without the worry of production, a team, is the lighting right? How's my makeup, if you will, or whatever it is? I could just have a conversation with people. Yeah, I found it. It's it's it is more intimate. You can ask the questions. You know, there's there's this back and forth dialogue, and I think the preparation. I really underestimated from starting our show the amount of preparation it takes to have a good conversation, mm-hmm. because you see these superstars and and what they're doing, and it's like, wait, I need to drill down and provide value to my audience. What things should I be asking? And right. you know, so one of the things I wanted to ask you that that doesn't get talked about a lot. And you see other individuals like Gary V. He's cranking out a ton of content. He's got that article, 64 pieces in a day or something. But, and people talk about delegate and elegate or elevate. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it a situation where you have a, a team composition that's really helping you with this? Or is it that Chris Doe's an artist and you're just crushing it, creating this high quality content? What, what's kind of the team composition look like to, to have this much success on these platforms? Very good question again. Uh, first, I wanna say that everything I'm saying can be applied to you, whoever's listening to this, that's a one person thing. And if this is something that you want to take to the next level, uh, you're gonna need some help, especially if your background is not in design or writing, obviously then you're gonna need some help. We, we, I definitely rely on a team and there's, there's a lot of people, not nearly as big as what Gary Vaynerchuk has. I think he has 12 people dedicated just to his social medias and, and our whole company is like 14 people. So there's a, there's a difference in scale there. Uh, so here's how it breaks down. Here's the nitty and the gritty part of it. My Instagram carousels, I write, I design, I produce all by my lonesome. The Futures Instagram account is created by L, uh, not created, but run by L, and she essentially scrapes the content that we produce, like videos, articles, tweets, and she does her own take on it, and she's very good at presenting information, adding to it, but it feels consistent with the style and the messaging of what it is that we're doing. So we're getting double the impact. So people were confusing like one person writing for the other. L basically produces for the for uh, the Futures Instagram company account, and I produce on my personal account. When it comes to the video, there's a whole video production team. Uh, they generate ideas with me. We write. They direct me. Even though I'm the boss, I say I'm gonna read these things to you. And if if it doesn't sound right, I want you to listen for our audience, not for yourself. So if I say something that's not clear, just say, hey, hey, that's not clear. Or I'm feeling you're coming in a little aggressive here, or you're you're too soft spoken. I need you to amp up the energy. So they're directing me to deliver what it is that I need to for camera. And so there's a whole team uh, for cut downs, definitely, because I don't do any of the editing myself. 
I, I do have my own home studio set up just like you, and I send them the files. And uh, when they get the files, they figure out what to do with it. They'll write little scripts or intros for me after they've cut it so that we know this is going to work. Well, thank you for that really detailed question. It's always, it's interesting to look kind of behind the curtain, like how is this being created? Like there's a lot of moving components here uh, and the production quality is just extremely high. And I was just kind of curious there. And you did, you did kind of answer another question I had as a follow-up was personal brand versus business brand and how you separate the two. And so, so I appreciate that. So you do yours, you're representing Christo, and then you have the future with uh, someone that represents um, that account. So I, I love that. And uh, so, so let's kind of shift over to personal development or, or are there any business books that you recommend? Yeah, for sure. So uh, what topic do you want? Yeah, to yeah, yeah. So let's go, let's go with, um, let's go with uh, project management. That's kind of a random <laughs> one. <laughs> or, yeah, scaling up. <laughs> Who knows? Shoot, I don't know. I should have asked you to ask me now. Yeah. I don't know what to do with the project management. What, what, are a couple, what are a couple books that come to mind? I know you mentioned right. Steal Like an Artist. Yeah, so let's talk about marketing. I, I don't think there's a better writer uh, in terms of marketing than Seth Godin. So the two books I'm going to recommend is This is Marketing, which is his latest book, and a, and a classic one, um, uh, which is All Marketers Are Liars. I think at this point I've read four or five Seth Godin books and they're all very good. So All Marketers Are Liars and, and This is Marketing from Seth Godin and also from Alan Dibb, The One Page Marketing Plan uh, is, is also very good. So that's on the marketing side. On the sales side, I recommend Socratic Selling. Uh, I think it's Kevin Daly who wrote that book and I also recommend uh, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier who we had on as a guest and it's excellent for, for lots of different things. It's called The Coaching Habit which wasn't like a like a sizzling title like a must read for me but what's inside is incredible it's really teaching you about how to ask questions and why the importance of questions will elevate your relationships whether you're a manager a coach a friend or a teacher broad application i love that book for for the godfather business books i think you you're going to need to read jim Rohn, seven strategies for wealth and happiness for company culture uh, i'm going to recommend delivering happiness by tony shea and I also enjoyed another book from Seth Godin, Permission Marketing. And if you want to learn how to run a 21st century company, I would read most of the books by Jason Friedman and David Heinmeier Hansen, I believe. Uh, they wrote the book Rework and Remote. They, they wrote the manifesto for work from home in 2013. It's quite an interesting read to now look at that in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. So I, I should have structured my question better at the beginning and you nailed it because those, many of those books are phenomenal. I've read, I've read many of those. I had Seth mm -hmm. Godin on the show a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, just awesome, awesome human being. The, uh, this is marketing. I'm a huge Jim Rohn fan. The, mm -hmm. the 12 Pillars of Success, just incredible audio book that you can crank through in a day. And I'll link up all those books. Those are phenomenal recommendations. And um, so let's, let's go to, one final question here. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed? I don't think so. I think you've done a really good job asking these questions. Um, who, who is your main, your, your like legal people are listening to this? Yeah, right? yeah. So uh, mostly personal injury attorneys, and I know many of them are trying to break in the social media space. So I thought, hey, let's have someone that's, that's really doing an excellent job. And, and okay. that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. 
Okay, then I know what my final message is going to be. I think most people think of social media as an extension of advertising, and I think it couldn't be anything further than advertising. And advertising, the way it's classically defined and understood, is a, a company, a brand has a message, and they send it out, and they blast it. They broadcast it to a broad audience, and they hope something sticks. I think the internet is is the first modern communication tool that wasn't invented for advertising. And Seth Godin said this is not my idea, and that you can have a real conversation with people. So if you approach building an audience as an act of generosity, one where you have zero expectations and you give incredible amounts of value, you're going to get people who are going to raise their hand and ask to become a part of your your marketing. It's really weird. They opt in instead of opting out. They say yes. You have my permission to continue to market to me. So the critical part here is not to abuse that relationship, not to spam them with a lot of junk and pitching them stuff. You need to constantly deliver value, and you need to move them up the permission ladder. And Seth describes in his book permission marketing. The very highest level of permission marketing is when the client or customer gives you permission to spend their money in their best interests. And there's a bunch of examples of that. Like when you belong to certain clubs, they say we're gonna send you a box of stuff, like these subscription boxes, right? They're saying like based on your preferences and what we know and learn about you, we're gonna send you something that we think you're going to find delightful. And if you don't, we'll keep working on it until we do. So that's the highest level, and that's that's really a wonderful way of having a relationship with a client. So even though you're in the legal space, which you could say maybe everybody's figured out everything you could do in the legal space, but I'm not so sure. Think about how you can improve and and、uh, make the lives of the of your customers better, and you're going to build an audience and a customer for life. I love that. It's an incredible、uh, piece of advice, and I, I think that if the attorneys did that, then they're going to provide that follow or create that following. We hope so. Yeah, absolutely. And、mm-hmm. guys, we've been talking to Christo, founder of the future. Chris, where can people go to learn more? They can find us. Pretty much everywhere on every social channel, and the the future is the is spelt without an e. It's f u t u r. The way we remind people is if you drop the e, the ego, then you can spell the future. So the future dot com, and everywhere on social is at the future is here, and I'm at the Chris Doe, and Doe spelled D O. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Rankings podcast. We'll see you again next time, and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.